In business, if you are 60% sure about a decision, then make it. Mm. Think how we've been programmed, right? We've always been programmed to be like, I mean, especially me coming from Pakistani culture, if you're going to make a decision, you need to be 5 million percent sure that it's, it's the right <laughs> yeah. decision, you know? And, and in life, bro, what, what, what are we 100% about? Assalamu alaikum everyone. With me, I have Sunny Araf, who is a very successful entrepreneur in Birmingham Sharif. And uh, you've got a, a firm called ISA Support Services, That's correct. which is a security firm. Yes. And uh, we, we're going to go into all of that, inshallah. But Sunny, I, I love the fact that you, you're Birmingham born and bred, right? I'm a proud Brummie, absolutely, Mashallah. yes. And, and you came up from, you know, from, the, from nothing, basically, right? I, I don't know if like, that's fair to say, but yeah. you came up from Birmingham, uh, yeah. like not from wealth. Yes. And, uh, and alhamdulillah, you've, you've made it to where you are. Uh, talk to us a little bit about what was life like back in the day, growing up. So I, I think, look, first of all, Asalaamu Alaikum everyone. And look, the, the thing is, is that when we talk about coming from nothing, um, Alhamdulillah, I think I was living with my parents, you know, and I, and I still live with my parents. So that, so that is, you know, I, w I wasn't like literally like living on the streets. Alhamdulillah, I was living, but we come from very, very humble beginnings. Um, we, we don't come from a family of wealth, you know, we weren't super wealthy in that sense. We were the, I don't know, the, the, we were just average or maybe below average, you know. My dad worked, my mom worked. She was one of the only women in my family that actually went out to work. Wow. Um, what did she so, work at? So, so she did everything. She did like, she was a, you know, like she worked in the factory sewing. She did, she used to bring that stuff home sometimes. She was a jeweler, you know, before she, um, she, she kind of stopped working. So for me, growing up, I always saw that money was always tight. You know, and I think that really shaped me at a very young age because I didn't want to be in that position or I didn't want my kids to ever be in that position where we were, you know, my parents were constantly worried about money, paying the mortgage, paying the bills, paying the council tax. I remember, I remember all of it. Um, and I think it really affected me as a child too. So my relationship with money was we didn't have any um, and I just didn't want to go back to that place. It's really interesting, Sonny, because I remember only a few things about money from my own childhood and I remember one of them was when my dad went into an overdraft mm -hmm. and I think he went into an overdraft a couple of months in a row and, I, and then I vividly remember that conversation with my mum around that and that was the first time I understood what an overdraft was yes yeah, and, uh, and and it's, it's, it's fa fascinating isn't it looking back how how much our parents just take that burden and make it happen for us. You know, we, we have like so much to, 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 to you know, and I, I get really emotional, subhanAllah, um, because what our parents did for us, you know, we can never repay them, subhanAllah, you know, and, and I think there's this like misconception of people, especially around the world, that people that in the UK don't really suffer poverty and, 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 and things are good, you know, because of the system and, and benefits and whatever, but they're not, you know, and there's a lot of families out there that are struggling and we certainly were one of those families that struggled. And and it's funny you mentioned the overdraft, but I remember as a child, my, my dad borrowed some money from a loan shark to, to buy our house. And he only had a, a, a building society bank account that he had to pay the money into. He wouldn't get any statements, he just knew. And my dad's only, uh, you know, priority was that that 
money at the end of the month had to be paid into this account because he'd always get threatened that they'll, they'll repossess your property. So I, I remember dad like, used to sit there and you know, he'd be counting the money and he'd be short and, it would, and I could just see the stress on his face um, because he wanted to keep a roof, roof over our heads. Alhamdulillah, he did it, at, you know, and my dad's like amazing, subhanAllah. But um, yeah, th times were tough, bro. And, and I think children nowadays, that uh, we're, we're very blessed in, in that sense. Um, but you know, they say that saying that, you know, tough times create tough men. And, and I think that having seen what we saw is probably one of the reasons why we are as grounded as we are today, because we know that, you know, I, I don't ever want to go back to that, that, to that, uh, to that, that time. There, there was a, 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 a clip from, uh, what's he called? The, uh, Dwayne Johnson's friend, uh, the short, shorter guy, the funny short guy. Do you know what I'm talking Kevin about? Hart. Kevin, Kevin Hart. Hart. Yeah. So Kevin Hart, he, he was talking about this whole thing with his kids and how he grew up really rough and it was tough. And, and then he took them back to, to his ends. Yeah. To show them that this is where I grew yeah, up, yeah, yeah. and and then they were like, "Oh, we, we really like this place. We we want to live here." And then he was like, oh, no, just, yeah. just come back." But it got me thinking about how, for our kids, and you know, certainly for your kids, how do you think about that? Because they're inevitably going to have a much more comfortable life than you did growing up. But yeah. then do they lose? Do they, do they lose an edge there? And is that is that our fault? Yeah. Uh, look. Absolutely. Unfortunately, there's no kind of rule book in terms of like a manual of how to bring your children up and make sure that they are, mm. you know, strong, determined entrepreneurs. The reality is, is that if you've if you've come from nothing or if you've built, you know, you've built something from from scratch, which is what we did, um, you appreciate money and you you I think you respect it more. Our kids are, you know, I wouldn't say my children are spoilt, but look, they go to a private school and, you know, I used to get dropped off, subhanAllah, in, you know, we would be worried that dad's car is going to break down outside the, outside the school. Our school was on a hill and loads of times it did. And we would literally, me and my sisters would be pushing the car outside. And you can imagine all the kids are outside school. And, uh, you know, subhanAllah. But look, so, and now my kids get dropped off to school in a nice car, alhamdulillah, and they go to a very good school, mashallah. And, um, but I always talk to them about money. And my kids have kind of, you know, they saw the journey um, of when we built the business and how we used to work two jobs and, and all that stuff. And I always, I don't just give them something. So like Ibrahim, for example, wanted a pair of trainers and he's been banging on about these Jordans that he wanted and uh, sending me links, you know, <laughs> this is, I can get them cheaper. And I just said to him, I said, well, you have to wait for Eid, you know, because like we, we try and do the whole, you know, presents on Eid. I don't, I don't just like, don't just give him cash, but make it, you know, something, make memories and make it that they'll remember. Um, so I made him wait until, so it's, it's, it's difficult because sometimes you can be too harsh with them, you know, as a father, I want to give them everything the stuff that I never had. But I need to be responsible and I need to think, you know, far into the future and actually I don't want them to be a bunch of sport brats, you know. So there's finding a balance. Like yeah. explain, like talk to them, explain to them that if, you know, if they've got something, like if they can't see it, but you need to speak to them and tell them that, you know, mama and papa worked, worked really hard for that. Um, and it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't just a given, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, Sonny, talk to us a little bit about how you got into business in the first place. 
So I didn't really, you know, um, so my dad's like, I learned entrepreneurship and business from mom and dad, you know. Like for me, one of the best entrepreneurs that I know um, is my mom, subhanAllah. Even though she never had her own business, you know, she taught me some really valuable lessons in terms of money and, and the, the, you know, the you need to have this, times can change at any point, you know. So always remained level-headed and, into, you know, we spoke about the charity stuff and that's something that I learned from mom too. So the best entrepreneurs that I know is mom and dad. My dad's a proper hustler. He just doesn't, he, he's just not very entrepreneurish in terms of how we would consider entrepreneurs, you know, in terms of like, you know, uh, doing your accounts and, you know, marketing and whatever. Dad's just a straight old-fashioned hustler. He's always worked, mashallah, always. Um, in business? No, no, no. So he's had his own, he's had like his own little ventures. I like it. That, you know, he's a one-man band, you know, he does his own thing, mashallah. And for those that know dad and they're watching this, they'll, they'll get it like 100%. But my dad's lovely. So, so I, I didn't really have this, these role models around me um, like, you know, hugely successful business people. And I, so I was looking up to them and saying, I want to start a business. I actually wanted to go to university and study, study international politics. And I got accepted at Aberystwyth University to study. But again, things were really tough at home. And I had to make this decision that if I leave home and go to university, there'll be no one at home to support mom and dad. Um, and and I, f I figured that that would be very selfish of me to do. So I decided not to go to university and stay at home and get a job and just help, you know, help with, with the bills at home. Um, and it was a really difficult time for me because I'd always wanted to go to university and study. So I didn't get the opportunity. I couldn't afford to go to university. Um, and then, I, and then when I was speaking to a careers advisor, she was like, you know, we were speaking about the police and uh, why don't you join the police? So a long story short, I joined the West Midlands Police and I, um, I realised that it wasn't the, uh, the dream that was sold to me, you know, at, uh, before I joined. So before that, I did like jobs. Look, I've done, you know, sales, I've done door to door, I've worked in Burger King, I've, you know, I've cleaned toilets. Um, in, in restaurants, you know, I've done pretty much all the jobs, all the, you know, what people may consider menial jobs. Uh, I've done it all, but that knocking on the doors, that door-to-door -door sales built this character within me. Look, if you can go out in the rain and you can knock on a hundred doors and every door gets shut in your face and people tell you to get lost, you know, that will build this resilience inside you that you will take with you for the rest of your life. So. I joined the police, uh, did that for a few years, and then decided it wasn't for me and left. And my brother-in-law was um, working for a security company at the time. And I remember he phoned, and he got promoted, and uh, he was like a supervisor. And he phoned me once and said, um, he said, where are you? And I was actually in the police station, in the canteen, and uh, you know, eating donuts or whatever. <laughs> but, uh, and I said, uh, I said, well, I'm just at work. And uh, he said, well, listen to this. And he said, I've got, and what had happened is, um, the admin guys had left the invoices on top of the shredder, right, uh, to, to obviously shred. And he, he got these invoices and he was like, look, listen to this. And I remember he was just like reeling off figures to me, you know, they're only paying us this amount of money and they're charging this much. Look at the margins in this and whatever. And um, anyway, lo and behold, from that conversation, we decided that we were going to start a security company. So I just, uh, you know, we, we thought it'd be quite lucrative. So, so I, I, I decided to resign from the West Midlands Police and we started a, a company, a security company, and I ran that with him for four years. And then we, we parted 
Um, so when, when, when was this? Uh, gosh, 2007, I think. Started. 2007, yeah, started. And uh, ran that for four years, left, and then um, he went he, You know, he went his way and I went my way, and then I started ISA, like, kind of 10, 11 years ago with my partner, Junaid, who is an amazing person, but will never come in front of the camera, so you'll, you'll never see him on a podcast, although I have invited him on mine. Um, so, um, and then, yeah, and, and we've never looked back. And, and what, so what exactly is this business? So we're a support service provider. Predominantly we provide security guards, but, so I'll give you an example. We provide security officers, we provide cleaners, we provide uh, receptionists, you know, mailroom staff. Um, and and our business covers inter- uh, in nationally, so we cover the, the entire UK. Um, and yeah, so we're a people's business. Uh, rewinding back to 2007, 2008, how did you like, land the first big contracts? Wow. So I think my first, con- it was funny actually, my contract, so the first contract that we landed as a security company was, I, when, I left the f- when I left the force, I decided that in order for me to get into security, I need to, un- and if I'm going to be recruiting security officers, I need to understand where they're coming from. I need to know, and I, I knew nothing about security. So I decided to do kind of three to six month stints at different jobs within the sector. So I went out and got a jobs. So I worked on the doors. I was like the bouncer, you know. I was I, I did the, the the driving, the the mobile response. I was a security guard. And well, what's the driving one? Sorry. So so mobile response. So when you lock up your building, so when everyone locks up the buildings mm. and goes home, our guys are driving around at night, attending oh. the alarm activations, right. locking up buildings, opening up buildings, all that good stuff. Um, and uh, so I had to get the experience in that. So that's what. So I went out, uh, gained the experience. And then I was like in a better place to... Um, so while I was doing that, I registered with this agency. And I got a call from this guy called Carl once. And he said, um, do you want a job? You know, there's Northfield Shopping Centre, which is not... Well, I don't, yeah, it's not too far from here. He said, we need security guards. And I remember I was, in, I was in a cafe getting some breakfast in the morning. And I said, well, I personally won't come and work for you, but I can provide you with security guards because we'd just set up the company. Yeah. He was like, oh, can you? I was like, he was like, well, I need five security guards. And I was like, well, yeah, done, no problem. <laughs> I was like, you know, we didn't have the security guards. <laughs> I ran to the office and we started, uh, you know. And then, alhamdulillah, you know, we, um, we, we, we never looked back. Crazy. And, um, and what's the, uh, the as an as a entrepreneur myself, I'm always interested in getting into the, the weeds of it so that it sounds like the heart of the business is going to be about finding security guards. I bet hiring is probably a nightmare. Um, yeah, recruitment's always yeah. Re- really tough. You know, I sometimes wish that I had a business where we sold products, you know, like a mug, for example. Yeah. Why, are you, why are you pointing at cups? What, what I was just saying, <laughs> <laughs> the, the mug on the table, you know? Because people are so unpredictable and uh, we deal with personalities, yeah. you know? and, and um, so I just said the products don't talk back to you. They don't turn up late. You know, <laughs> if it if it's broken, I can fix it. You know, there's no yeah. there's no issues. But of course, with people, they're so temperamental. Mm. Um, and of course, when things go wrong, I'm the one that needs to you know phone the customer up and explain to him why the officer was late or the officer yeah. fell asleep or yeah. the officer walked off site. And look, these are things that happen in the real world. Happens, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so so our business is based around people, and of course, at the moment within the industry, everyone's suffering in terms of recruitment. Mm. It's very difficult. 
Um, well, because of Brexit or? Um, I think Brexit had something to do with it, but I just think in general what happened during COVID was that where you had security officers that were working in security getting paid minimum wage, they went and got, because their, um, where they work, for example, if you work in an office building, it may have closed down. So then they went and got a job wherever else and realised, actually, I can work in Tesco stocking shelves and get paid the same amount of money and not have to deal with the grief about, you know, with dealing with public and whatever. Mm. So we had an, a huge influx of people that left the industry um, and went to do other things. I think COVID taught us loads of lessons, you know, and a lot of people started looking at their life and, and really wanting this work-life balance um, because it was amazing, right? Like I say, it was amazing, but you know, for me, I, my memories of COVID, I had my daughter in COVID, she's a COVID baby, mashallah. So that was amazing for us, but also, for the first time in my life, I spent so much time at home with my mum and dad and my wife and my children. And, you know, subhanAllah, when we look at how blessed we really are, our only problem in COVID was sat at breakfast talking about what we were going to have for lunch and, and, and then what we were going to have for dinner. There were so many conversations around food. <laughs> it was unreal. And I used to always remind my family that, you know, deliver these reminders to them and say, guys, you know, we need to be so grateful for for our blessings because look at this, we're here, we're, we're in the garden, the weather was nice, I, don't, I think it was the first lockdown. And we're just worried about what we're going to eat. You know, the women are complaining because they're running out of ideas in terms of what to cook. And, uh, and I said, but there's a lot of people out there that are struggling, you know. Um, so, so... Yeah, I mean, that, that alone is, yeah. it's, itself is a blessing. I was reading some verses from the Quran yesterday uh, from uh, the story of uh, Suleiman salam, when the the ant, uh, when he saw the army of Su Suleiman coming, yes, and he cried out to his other ants and said, "Look, guys, take cover. You're going to get crushed here." And Suleiman obviously could understand yeah. animals, so he he smiled and he laughed. And then the first thing he said was that you know Allah help. He made a dua that Allah help me. Uh, to make uh, give thanks to you yeah. for the blessings that you've given me. So it's you know even the fact that you have that we have the ability to that that consciousness that we need to be thankful to be thankful is itself a blessing. Look, absolutely, and I, and that's one of the duas that I, that I, I make regularly, asking Allah to always give me the, the ability to be thankful. You know because it's very easy getting caught up in the in the dunya and and forgetting you know the blessing. And I always say that. We, I think a lot of people tend to, when times are bad, it's quite easy to forget about the simple, and I always say, look at the things that money can't buy, you know, don't look at the materialistic things, just the fact that, subhanAllah, you know, just the fact that we can get up in the morning and Allah's blessed us with another day, you know, and your family, your mum and dad, for those of us that are fortunate to have our parents around, speak to those parents, that who, those children whose parents are no longer there, subhanAllah, you know. Our children and having suffered loss of, of you know, of, of children, I know how grateful I am every day for my kids, subhanAllah, mm. you know. Um, so it's really important to be thankful. And so Sunny, uh, picking back up on your story, so you've, uh, you've secured your first contract, uh, and and I now presume that you're in this hurly burly of you know more contracts, more work. Yeah. What was what was your work life balance like at the time? So I didn't really have one, if I'm honest. You know, um, I was working. You I were was, married at this time. Yeah. Uh, so I was yes, I was married, and I was working 
two jobs. So I was working security at night and I was doing pretty much seven nights. I'd come home, I'd get approximately four, four and a half hours sleep and then I'd wake up and go to the office. So my day was getting up about 10 o'clock, uh, going to the office, getting home from the office for about six o'clock, having some dinner and then running upstairs, having a shower, getting changed, put my suit on again and then in the car straight to work and that was, that was kind of seven days. You know, I remember my wife's from Pakistan. My wife came uh, to England. The first day that she came to, 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 you know, it's like, you know, the new bride's in the house, so the whole family's round, you know, Davda and whatever. And um, so I was eating dinner, and I remember it was, dinner for me was always really rushed, you know, because I, I, I was always like, you know, rushing my food because I, I was literally, I need to go, I was always, I was always looking at the clock too, subhanAllah. And, um, so I, I left the dinner table, went upstairs, she followed me, and she's like, and I was getting my suit out, and she was like, where are you going? And I was like, I'm going to work. She was like, it's my first day. And you know, I sat down. I, I never forget this. I sat down on the bed, sat next to her and said, look, I am a, a businessman. I'm trying to run a business, and I'm working. And I work two jobs. I don't have any choice in doing that. I said, it's going to be really tough. The first few years of our marriage are going to be really, I'm telling you now, right? I have to go to work. But uh, I promise you that, you know, inshallah, if you stick by me and you, we get through this, it won't always be like this. And I made it this promise. And, you know, subhanAllah, from that, from that day, we've been married nearly 14, 15 years, I think. I've never had to have that conversation again with my wife. She's never said to me, why are you going? If I'm, if I'm traveling on business, if I'm going abroad, whether it's a charity mission, whatever, if I'm late at the office, she never ever gives me any stick in terms of work. Because A, I, I, uh, I was good with that promise, you know, alhamdulillah. Um, and B, she knows why I'm doing this. She knows my why. Yeah, makes, makes perfect sense. So, okay, so you're, uh, you're working hard during this period. And what's the next inflection point? What's the next game changer? So I think, I mean, look, we were running the business for a long time and I did this, I went to, um, so Goldman Sachs did this 10,000 small businesses course at Aston, Aston Business School. And I was, I, I applied and alhamdulillah, I got selected. And I, I, um, I went on this course, it was, it was a, a period of in my life where I actually got to spend one day a week um, working on the business rather than in the business. And I think entrepreneurs, a lot of us make this huge mistake that we don't take time out of the business to to focus on the business, to focus on strategy and, and how we're moving. We get so sucked into the whole, you know, in terms of like just work that we never get to do it. That was a great time for me. And they had like workshops and experts. And I remember this American guy coming in and he was doing a workshop on um, selling your business. And he said something to me that stuck with me for the rest of my life, and it's the rule that I always follow, and it's the 60% rule. And what he said was, is in business, if you are 60% sure about a decision, then make it. Mm. Think how we've been programmed, right? We've always been programmed to be like, I mean, especially me coming from Pakistani culture, if you're going to make a decision, you need to be 5 million percent sure that it's, it's the right <laughs> yeah. decision, you know? And, and in life, bro, what, what, what are we 100% about? Nothing. Do you see what I mean? The only thing that I pretty much in my life is that there is an Allah. That's it. Yeah. About, you know, that, and, and, and ultimately, when it comes to the deen, I'm, I'm 100%. Everything else, bro, what, what are you 100% about? SubhanAllah. So 
And at that time, we were, we were, gonna, we were due to, we were, I mean, you know, about moving office, we were in a small little office. And after that workshop, I said, I sat there thinking, well, I'm 60% sure about moving office, you know, so let's do this. I literally went back to the office and said to John, I said, look, uh, we're moving. He was like, are we? I was like, yeah. He was like, we saw this office, it was like five times bigger than our office. We were nowhere ready, but I said, you know, we moved into the office. Alhamdulillah, we made that decision. Just and we started making quick fire decisions, not really, you know, thinking too much about it in terms of investment, in terms of diversification of services and whatever. And I found that when we started doing that, things started moving a lot quicker mm. for us. Alhamdulillah. Yeah, makes perfect sense, right? Because you, I was, I was, I was thinking about this recently. We were talking to someone about how, if you, really, it boils down to uh, two things. It boils down to making sure that the decisions you're making are mainly right. Absolutely, yeah. Because yep. If, if they're mainly right, that's, that's a good thing. And then it just comes down to um, making as many of them as possible, as quickly as possible. Yeah. Because I think so many people, they just don't make decisions for two, three, four, five months. And, and look, when you talk about entrepreneurship and how many people, how many people that watch in this podcast, for example, would be like sat there now saying... I want to start a business. I want to go for that promotion. You know, I want to do that course. And they've been talking about it and thinking about it and discussing it with their partners and their parents and their friends and online, you know, for, for, for in some cases for years. But they never made that decision. So follow the 60% rule, you know. And absolutely, it needs to be calculated and, and whatever. But if you're, you know, I think sometimes we can spend so much time talking about something that it never gets done. Yeah. You know, so quit talking and start acting, you know, and things will move a lot quicker for you. Somehow. No, completely agree. So Sunny, we've, we've heard the story and Alhamdulillah, you've done really well. Uh, you know, thanks be to God. And we are now thinking, the audience are thinking, how can we take those lessons on? So any ideas? So I think... The first thing is, is look, I think the danger that we have is that we, we, we talk about entrepreneurship and for some people their, their um, idea of entrepreneurship will always be, I need to have my own business, you know, and I've been, I've been thinking a lot about this recently, actually, in terms of like, you know, the message that I'm giving out and entrepreneurship's not for everyone. And that's, and that's what we need to realize. Like, I think there is, I think being Asian, we're quite fortunate that I think there's a, I generally feel that there's like this genetic gene that we have inside us because our parents were the entrepreneurs. They're the, the you know, these are the old boys that came to this country with nothing. And there's so many lessons that we can learn from them. So, you know, Allah bless them all. Um, they laid the foundations for us. So really fortunate. So like, first of all, you need to establish whether being an entrepreneur is something for you. You may just be excelling in your career. You know, and you can use the same tactics that entrepreneurs use to develop their their businesses within your career. So decide whether the the job that you're in at the moment, that's, you know, do you want to stick it out? Or if you're thinking of applying for a job and you can excel and be the best in your career and make very good money. You know, whatever field you're in, Absolutely. get to the top of your game, you know, and you can make very good money. So there's nothing wrong with, and I wouldn't want anyone to feel that because they don't want to start their own business, that they're lacking in any way. Yeah. We all have, you know, they, it's horses for courses, as they say, right? Um, but I think the, the biggest thing is, is knowing your why and like, why do you want to become an entrepreneur? Why do you want your own business? And I think if your intention is right, then the, the process will be excelled. You know, Allah will put barakah in what you're doing. The biggest mistake that people make is chasing the money. Mm. 
right? And this is really important. Because, as we know, from an Islamic perspective too, you know, it will never be enough. You know, the one value of gold and what, you know, another and whatever. It will never be enough. So don't chase the money, chase the freedom. And what I mean by that is, is if you want the, the ability to do, you know, all the things that you enjoy in life, spend more, like for me, what was, it was really important. I wanted to spend more time with my family and I just didn't want to be tied down to the desk. So I started to chase the freedom because in our early days we were doing everything and we'd always talk to each other, me and my partner, and we'd say, we were, you know, answering the phone, we were going and doing the shifts, we were doing the accounts, the marketing, advertising, everything. And we'd always talk about a time that would come when inshallah we would never be doing these things because we would have people that are responsible for these things. Alhamdulillah that time's come. So we, I started chasing the freedom. And then I started asking myself, how, what do I need to do to make money and to get the freedom that I want? So I remember sitting there one day thinking, when I left the police, one of the options for me was being a consultant. But then I thought, if I'm a consultant, I can only work seven days a week if I work every single day. And then I started doing the maths and I said, well, if I'm charging 250 pounds a day or whatever, whatever, I'm still capped in terms of what I can earn. Hmm. So now I need a business that's making me money while I'm sleeping. And I remember the day when I went to sleep and I knew that we had security officers working a night shift at one of our clients' premises. And I, and I knew it and I kind of had this thing in my head about making money while you're sleeping. So I went to sleep and then I woke up in the morning and I remember going to the office and I said, Jono, we've done it. And he's like, what? I said, we made money while we were sleeping. <laughs> he goes, did we? I goes, yeah, how? And you know, subhanAllah, we, you know, it's, it's really sweet, but we used to write it. And I, I had this diary and I would write it down, you know, four times 12 security officers, da, 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 da. You know, we were charged. And I used to write down and uh, you, you know, I laugh about it, subhanAllah, but it's, it's these amazing memories that you create in your entrepreneur journey, which you look back at, which will really humble you, right? Um, and I used to write it down. So making money. So the point is, is what is your intention? You know, have the intention that you want to make money and look after your family. Have the intention that you want to look after your parents. Have the intention that you want to support the communities that you work in. Um, have the you know have the intention of giving in charity, and also have the intention that you want to spend more time on your deen, for example. Um, so the first thing is the right intention, right? And the second thing is we go back to the 60% rule in terms of taking risks, you know. You don't want to be living your life with all these regrets, right? If you believe that you are 60% sure about something and you want to do it, then look, just go out and do it. And if you fail, what's the worst that's going to happen? You know, a lot of people sit there and like, would, like I don't want to be this really old guy and have like tons of regrets in my life. I, none of us do, right? But unfortunately, many of us will have regrets because we, we were the people that just, the, you know, those successful entrepreneurs that we see now, you know, the, we can name many of them. Um, these are the ones that took the risk. And I always say, you need to become that person that will do the things that other people don't want to do today. So tomorrow you can buy and have the things that other people can't. That may be materialistic things, that may be the freedom or whatever. So just be willing to, you know, at the moment there's this talk about and it annoys me sometimes, but and, and, it, and it may not be very PC or whatever, but there's this talk about, you know, work-life balance and, you know, making sure that we are only working a certain amount of time and, you know, we've got... I get that, that's healthy. 
But the reality is, is that if you're an entrepreneur and you're trying to start a business, you will work every hour God sends. That's it. And if you're not willing to work every single hour and you're not willing to put the weekends in, then don't expect to reach those levels that those that you look up to have reached. Because in our time, we didn't have that, you know, flexibility. I worked two jobs. I missed my youngest son, Ibrahim, growing up for the first two years of his life because I was trying to start a business, you know. We were doing the things that other people didn't want to do. And I think at the moment, the problem with these, whether it's millennials or whatever you want to call it is, everybody wants to eat, but nobody wants to hunt. Yeah. Everybody wants to become successful, bro. Everybody wants the nice cars and the big houses and whatever else. But when you tell them what you have to do to get to that level, all of a sudden it's like, bro, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm cut out for this, you know? Yeah. Um, so and just- you know, I find it really revealing when you, talk to people who are, uh, you're sometimes when you're negotiating equity, yeah. or you're talking to someone who's, who's an employee and is now thinking about being an entrepreneur, and just the way they think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's just like, like, you, like, you do not understand uh, how much effort this takes. Oh, subhanAllah. And you do not, like, you're valuing what you, like, what you have done so far, the idea, or whatever, just far too highly. It's all in the execution. Uh, absolutely. And, and that's why, you know, we talk about investments and like, it's, it's quite easy. Um, look, we started our business and we invested £4,000 in our business. I invested £4,000 and Junaid invested £4,000. We put it into an account and we said, well, we have £8,000 to live off now. We were both working still and we had that money to, to start the business, right? But so it was our own money that we invested into the business. Alhamdulillah, our, our industry was one that doesn't really require huge amounts of capital to start the business. But that was because we were, we did it like Desi style, bro. You know, we, 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 we skimped and saved and, you know, we would just do things. We did everything ourselves, everything ourselves, you know. And that's a mistake that a lot of entrepreneurs make. Yeah. When they first start a business, it's like all of a sudden, you know, the guy's been a, a, a managing director for two days and now he needs a PA. You elite, know, elite law firm, 20,000 yeah, yeah, pounds. You know, and, and you know, the office. Like, like what, what, you know? And I made the mistake. Look, we, look, like, I remember this because we laugh about it all the time. So I, we needed, no, so um, there was a company called, is it uh, Pitney Bowes, I think? Pitney Bowes or something. And they used to do franking machines. I don't know if they're still around. Yeah, the franking machines, right? So this rep came to our office and, you know, she was like, sold us the dream, the franking machine. It, you know, when you when your letters go to your client, uh, you get like, it, the, the, the machine stamps the letter with your company logo. And I was like, yo, this is amazing. I was young and naive and we just started the business and I wanted to take the business to the next yeah. level. And I stupidly thought that having a, a, a letter land on my customer's, you know, doorstep with our logo on there was going to, I don't know, change the world for me. So I signed a three-year contract with this with this company, you know. So we're paying a, a, like a, a, a leasing fee and whatever. Bro, for the first year, I think we posted like four letters. <laughs> I was like, what? But you, you know, you learn. Happens, yeah. So keep, so whatever, whatever business that you go into, keep your costs down, like to a bare minimum. And don't make the mistake of leaving your job before your company is making money. Like this is really important, you know. A lot of entrepreneurs commit like entrepreneurial suicide when they leave their jobs before their company's making any money, now there's pressure because the bills are mounting up and they don't have this money, you know, they can't focus on their business. 
you have so much time in the day. If you're working a nine to five, for example, you have between five and let's say you go to sleep at you're an early early um, you go to sleep at ten o'clock, for example. From five to ten, Monday to Friday, and you have the entire weekend. Again, it's about how much are you willing to sacrifice? Do you want to go out with the boys, you know, on the weekend, or do you want to work on your side hustle? You make that choice, bro. N no pressure, you know. So you have that time. So don't give me this, I don't have the time. You have the time if you want to make the time. That's the first thing, right? But I've seen so many people do make the mistake where it's like they've, they've got a really well-paid job. They quit, they, they have this business idea. They talk about it a couple of times, you know, at the, 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 the shisha lounge with their boys and all of a sudden it's gonna make them millions of pounds. And then they all go and quit their jobs, you know? And then it's like, you know, now they're asking for money from the banks, from mom and dad, from, you know, whatever. I remember the time when, so when we started our business for three years, I think we weren't paid. We didn't pay ourselves. The business wasn't making any money. We couldn't justify paying ourselves, right? And I remember when uh, my, my first partner came to me and said, the accountant has said that we can pay ourselves. Bro, it was like Eid. And I said, I always say to her, I said, Atif, would you feel like Eid? Okay, you know, I feel like it's Eid, bro, you know? And uh, I was like, really? And I was like, how much can we take? How much can we take? And he said, oh, he said uh, 1,200 pounds each. Brother, I was like, I, to me at that stage, it was like, massive, that's a yeah. 250,000 pound monthly salary for me, bro. It was massive because now I started to see like a way out of doing the doors like Monday, to, you know, all the time. Yeah. And um, so we waited, bro. And even like the second time round when we started ISA, we, we, we waited a long time. We were the last people to get paid. And, and look, Unfortunately, there's mixed signals that people are getting out there. Some entrepreneurs, like the, the likes of Grant Cordone and others, will say, pay yourself first, mm. right? They'll say, pay yourself first, and then everybody else gets paid. Whereas we're a bit traditional in our thinking, and of course, from an Islamic perspective too, that, you know, make sure that all your debts are cleared, make sure that your employees are all paid. You are the last person to get paid. That's it, bro. You're the boss, right? So you benefit, you know, but at the same time too, if there's losses in the business, you take the losses. So um, we would always pay ourselves last. We always make sure that everyone else is paid. Um, so, yeah. Amazing. And uh, Sunny, how did you go about the hard times? How do you deal with the hard times? You know, um, SubhanAllah, you, you turn to Allah, bro. Like, honestly, like, I've had some, you know, really, really tough times in my life times that have brought me closer to Allah and the one thing that I learned is that it's pointless telling or complaining to you know humans because we'll listen and then we'll forget it because everyone's got their own issues you know so when things when times are bad turn to your Lord because ultimately Allah is the one that provides you know um, and I think the mistake that we make again is, and, and, and me included, is sometimes we put our reliance too much on people, you know. Um, so, so first of all, from an from a, from a Islamic perspective, turn to Allah, talk to Allah, have those really open and intimate conversations with your Lord and, and know that He understands. You know, that's really important. Um, and turn to each other, you know. I think, again, one thing that I've noticed and, and more so in our culture, like the, when I say our culture, the Asian kind of like culture is that we don't share near enough 
what we should share with our partners. You know, we've got this, um, like especially men, you know, we've got this thing about we are the, the, the male, the provider, and we can't seem to be seen to be weak, right? So we don't share our journeys with our partners. Now, if you're somebody that's trying to build a business and you're working seven days a week and you're hardly spending any time at home, because it happens, um, and you haven't explained to your wife or your husband what you are trying to achieve, how can you expect them to understand? But the minute you sit down and explain to them, look, my dear wife, I am working seven days a week, not because I'm having an affair or whatever, I'm literally trying to build this business for me and you and, and the future of our children, and that's why I'm doing it. Now, the minute you have that conversation with her, she's going to understand, inshallah. You know, may Allah give us all understanding partners. You know, it's really important. It's, it's major, because if you've got a, a partner that understands your, your, your entrepreneurial journey... Partners, very... you said plural. Partner. Partners. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, yeah, pa partner. It's all right. Uh, yeah, we'll let so, you off. We'll let you off. We'll uh, let you off um, so, yeah, so, so, so turn to Allah, bro. Speak, speak to those. Uh, speak to your partner, you know, um, and learn from your mistakes, you know. And don't beat yourself up about it too much. I've made mistakes that have probably cost us millions of pounds, subhanAllah, you know. Uh, do I sit there every day and think about it? Not really. It is, the, it is entrepreneurship. You will make mistakes. You will not always get it right. And know that you can only go as far as your skill set allows you. This is really important. I think everyone's. Every, I'm, I keep saying that this is, everything's really important, but this is this is really important. <laughs> this is you know? really important. Yeah. This, you need to, you know, um, you know. Unfortunately, you can have this uh, problem sometimes where you believe that you're the boss and you know everything about the business. And for those people that understand that I can only grow as far as my skill set allows me, so I've taken the business to here. I now need to bring somebody in that is an expert in marketing for example or sales or whatever we made that mistake where we didn't bring anyone in and we should have brought someone in to do our accounts for us for example a long long time ago and we made some very stupid mistakes because we were working and we weren't invoicing our customers because we were so busy doing the work ourselves and trying to invoice and whatever so when that time is right not too early but don't leave it too late you will know you will understand your business um, bring the professionals in and have have this you know this like your accountant and your solicitor uh, and, and, you know, your marketing agency. These are key players within your business that you need. So, Sunny, you, you've been involved in charity throughout this period. What does charity as an entrepreneur mean to you? What's your relationship to charity today? I think it's a, it's a, um, it's a given. You, you have to give back, you know. I think, for me, we kind of discovered this formula and it's not a secret, subhanAllah, that the, the, the religion teaches us about it. But, you know, we always gave sadaqah, you know, and we did it in times of hardship and in times of happiness, you know. And I think people, alhamdulillah, everyone does their, their own bit in their own way, and that's great. But, like, what I can only say what worked for us, you know. So, for us, it was a case of we are going to a very important meeting, Give some sadhaka before you go, you know. We just landed a contract. Give some sadhaka, you know. Um, and it's really important to do that. You know, you've just, like, we're, you've just lost the contract. Like, give some sadhaka. And for some people, that would be really difficult. I've just lost money. 
and I have to give more, you know, I have to give more money. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, so give it. And don't be afraid to give in charity. Um, I think my experience with Muslim entrepreneurs and Muslim businesses is that I don't believe in the UK Muslim businesses are paying the correct amount of zakat. I, I genuinely believe that there's a large percentage of Muslim businesses that are not uh, fulfilling their obligation when it comes to zakat. I, I, I genuinely believe it. One, because they don't know, they don't understand it. And two, when you get a bill or an invoice, you know, saying that your zakat is X amount, um, a lot of people would not have the, I say a lot of people, a few, some people, whatever, would not have the conviction of then saying, that's mine, at the moment it's mine, I now have to give that to whatever. Allah's made a promise, you know, that, uh, I mean, how many people do you know that have ever gone poor from giving? I always say this, None. you know. None. The bro. contrary. Yeah, some of the most successful people in the world are, are, the, are the best, you know, at giving in charity, subhanAllah, some openly and some in, in secret. So my, my um, work with charities and whatever, I used to be an ambassador for some charities I used to work with and co support causes, it was, a lot of it was centred around after my daughter passed away. And... Um, at the time, I used to fundraise for charity, so I was like, I was like the guy that would go out to the other countries and make the videos and you know set up a just giving link and whatever. And I always prayed to Allah that Allah gave us the ability that we can support our own projects. And uh, you know, alhamdulillah, ten years down the line, we have our own foundation. We're a grant giving organisation. We support charities in the UK and internationally. A lot of our work is centred around refugees and vulnerable people, um, specifically the the Syrian crisis. That's very close to me. But we've we've, we've travelled all over. Um, and it's just uh, it's just like part of our DNA. We we give back. Uh, we we don't do it uh, like near enough in terms of what we should do. I I, I think that's the reality. We can always do more. Um, but uh, it it and you know we take our staff out to country like to. So we took recently we took our staff about five members of our staff to Lebanon, and we did a winter campaign where we distributed. Um, Kind of, you know, like we've distributed aid to the Syrian refugees, and you know we've we've created this kind of sense of belonging and community within our own organisation, where our team knows that for us it's not just about making money and Sonny and Jono becoming super rich, it's about becoming successful and giving back. And the only way we can give back is if the company does well. So, Alhamdulillah, I think that's enabled us. And we're known within our within our community in terms of like the, the the security industry and further afield to say give back. So it's so so important. I'm not saying everyone has to set up their own foundation, but ultimately um, everybody should be doing something. You know, so you know if you're if you're that guy or that girl that's sat there now and thinking I'm going to start a business or I'm going to go for that promotion, give some sadaqah before you do it. You know that first day when you go to that meeting um, and, 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 and most importantly uh, for those of you that still have your parents around make sure that you you get the blessings of your parents you know ask like I, I always say to mom you know like I, I even today subhanAllah I just left the house and I was like mom I'm going to do a podcast duas she was like always and she was like can I see it on TV and I'm like mom <laughs> you know um, but just you know just and I always say to mom and dad I say I've got a really important meeting tomorrow just make dua for me 
Um, you know, things. I don't like to tell them when things aren't good. I don't want to worry them with that burden. But um, yeah, get, t take the du'as of your parents, guys. It's it's really important. And if your parents are not pleased with you at this moment in time, and you think that you're going to become successful as an entrepreneur or as a business person or whatever, then you got another thing coming, bro. You know, so go make up with your parents, apologize, and you'll see the blessings coming, inshallah. Your parents probably watch this podcast. I need a quick message to your parents. Go on, look at that. Look at that camera. Uh, but look, I've done it many times, but mom, dad, I love you. You, you know, jazakallah khair, subhanallah. My parents are amazing, bro. Alhamdulillah, they've given me so much, and I don't think we could ever thank thank them. And but mom, I I, I have to be careful because when mom watches like TV interviews of me, um, she gets really emotional. You know, subhanallah, she starts crying and. Uh, uh, it's it's yeah it's tough. You know, I had an interview with um, the Times, and I remember. Um, so the journalist Kate Kate that interviewed me from the Times, she wrote this uh, article. And when journalists phone you, or show, we did it over Teams, and it's they have this like we forget. And if you're not used to doing media interviews, you'll know that whatever you say, they will quote right. So I had this really open conversation with Kate. We're just talking about my childhood and about how times were tough and all that good stuff. Like we went into detail, nothing like we've done here today. And um, she, then, she then wrote it all out, you know, and I was like, and, and luckily, because um, it was like, I was in the, I'm gonna get this plug in, I was in the like, top 50, you know, uh, Times top 50 entrepreneurs. And um, she, she wrote this article and they send it me for proof check. So the Times don't let you check, Yeah. you know, they don't let you proof sure. check anything. But it was it was simply because they wanted to the factual information in terms of like figures about the business they wanted me to just check that because they didn't want to publish anything that was incorrect. So luckily I read it and I was like, Yo, Subhanallah, you can't you can't publish this, you know? Because um, not not so much for me because I think the, the the problem is is I try and portray this image about like where I've come from and 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 try and give people the 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 reality of it, you know, um, the truth behind like business. But then I was conscious that my my dad and my mum will potentially read that article and it could bring back these emotions that they have left behind a long time ago. So I, I just, I said, you can't publish this, man. So Alhamdulillah, they luckily, when I explained my reasons why, they rewrote it, um, which is important, SubhanAllah. Sunny, we need to do this again, inshallah, one day. Inshallah, absolutely, bro. I'd, be, I'd, I'd love to come. It's been a pleasure and uh, I've learned a lot. I'm sure all of our audience have learned a lot. Inshallah. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be back. Jazakallah we'll khair. Barakallah feek. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.